I have found out beat news in depth for you. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, I hope your holiday week has been a great one so far for you and your family. And it's really hard to believe we're about to say goodbye to another year. But what a year it's been, momentous in so many ways for our community. But the reality of it is, 2016 is just four days away. And one of the most significant presidential elections for LGBT people will be here before we know it. Tonight we begin by talking about some of the most important news stories of this last year. Our first guest is Matthew Breen, the editor-in-chief of The Advocate magazine. And in the second half of our hour, I'm going to introduce you to one of my students, Eduardo Vasquez. He's here to share his own story and talk about life as a young Latino gay man in Napa. All of this and more is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, December 27th, 2015. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. A gay man was struck between the shoulders with what may have been a crowbar this last week in the latest of at least a dozen allegedly anti-gay attacks to plague Dallas's Oaklawn neighborhood. John Wright Atola Road reports that bartender Daniel Lumen was walking home at 1.30 a.m. from Cedar Springs Tap House when he heard yelling that he initially presumed to be an argument but now believes to be anti-gay slurs directed at him. As Lumen walked away from the shouting, two men approached the bartender from behind and hit him with a metal pole between the shoulder blades. Lumen says he fell to the ground where the two assailants began kicking him. The victim had his cell phone in his hand and pretended to be on a call, which he believes helped scare the attackers away. According to Dallas TV station WFAA, Lumen reported the assault to police and met again with officers this last week. At this point, the assault has not been classified as a hate crime. Dallas police have been inundated with reports of anti-gay assaults in the city's prominent LGBT neighborhood known as Oak Lawn, after local activists picketed the Dallas police headquarters last month demanding more comprehensive follow-up and better police presence in the area. Officers increased patrols. Dallas County's District Attorney Susan Hawk held a town hall meeting with concerned residents, promising that if the robberies are found to be hate crimes, her team will prosecute these cases to the full extent of the law. The attack on Lumen is eerily similar to several other assaults that have taken place in the Oak Lawn area recently, including a robbery last month, which saw another gay male bartender from the Cedar Springs Tap House beaten over the head with a heavy object. And a New Jersey nonprofit found to have violated consumer fraud laws for offering therapy it said would turn gays to heterosexuals must be shut down according to a judge's order. The granting of a permanent injunction against Jews offering new alternatives for healing, known as Jonah, was an outgrowth of a lawsuit filed against the group in 2012 by several men and two of their mothers claiming it engaged in fraud and made claims it couldn't back up. In June, a Hudson County jury awarded the plaintiffs about $72,000 in damages. The ruling signed this last week by State Superior Court Judge Peter Barrasso ordered the Jersey City-based Jonah to cease all operations within 30 days and barred it from engaging, whether directly or through referrals, in any therapy, counseling, treatment, or activity that has the goal of changing, affecting, or influencing sexual orientation, same-sex attraction, or gender wholeness. Borso's order also awarded attorney's fees and expenses to the plaintiffs. David Dinielli, an attorney for the men, said the decision sends a message to providers of so-called conversion therapy that the practice is fraudulent. 
He said the practice of conversion therapy at base constitutes fraud. It is premised on the lie that homosexuality is a disease or disorder, and this case proved it to be a lie. And in Boise, Idaho, Idaho's losing battle to defend the state's same-sex marriage ban has cost taxpayers approximately $715,000, making it one of the more expensive failed cases compared to similar losses in nearby states. Governor C.L. Butch Otter and other top elected officials last week unanimously approved paying $34,000 from the state's Constitutional Defense Fund to cover the remaining attorney's fees and court costs. The state had already paid $628,000 to attorneys representing four lesbian couples who sued Idaho over the state's same-sex marriage ban, plus another $53,000 to a private law firm hired to represent Idaho in the case. The amount is greater than what has been paid so far by surrounding states that were ordered to cover attorney's fees and court costs after failing to uphold same-sex marriage bans. In 2014, Utah paid $95,000, Oregon paid $133,000 to winning plaintiffs, Nevada paid $615,000, and Alaska shelled out $128,000. Other states with higher bills than Idaho include Michigan, which was ordered to pay $1.9 million, and Ohio, which paid $1.3 million. And finally, Napa Valley College is now enrolling students in its LGBT studies program. You can earn a certificate or transfer to earn a degree in LGBT studies. Classes will meet on Monday evenings at 6.30 p.m. starting on January 25th. You can learn more at napavalley.edu. And for more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at OutBeatNews.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates from OutBeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. The Advocate magazine is the longest-running print LGBT news magazine in the world. They've been on the ground in cities across the country and around the world, bringing stories of our community to doorsteps and mailboxes everywhere. And today, they continue to be the premier source for information about LGBT culture, news, and our history. To help us take a look back at some of the top stories of 2015 is The Advocate magazine's editor-in-chief, Matthew Breen. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. And we were talking before we went on the air here about how long it's been. I mean, you've been at The Advocate now for how many years? I've been at The Advocate since 2000, oh gosh, 2009, and then I became editor-in-chief nearly uh, six years ago. And doing great work. I mean, the magazine is really still a foundation for LGBT news and something we rely on a lot. So it's great to have you back here to talk about some of the big stories in 2015. And Clearly, the Supreme Court's decision on marriage was one of the standouts. The advocate recognized the Supreme Court as the, quote, people of the year. Talk about, from your perspective, any surprise that came from that decision. What do you think? Uh, the, uh, the Supreme Court were the people of the year. We are cover this, uh, this current issue is Anthony and the Supremes. Uh, and we uh, <laughs> made a special nod to Anthony Kennedy, who has written the, the, the four most significant LGBT rights, marriage rights uh, rulings out of the Supreme Court. Um, it was important to us to recognize the entire Supreme Court, 
um, not just the five who voted in favor of the majority decision in, in favor of uh, uh, legalizing marriage equality across the country, but the uh, other justices as well, including Scalia, whose sort of fire and brimstone predictions in rulings past, I think really incited a lot of lower courts to react against him, to, to, to uh, rule in favor of marriage equality. So whether he meant to or not, I think he uh, precipitated a lot of the decision that came out of the Supreme Court. And also the other justices in their dissenting opinions, all four dissenting justices penned an opinion, uh, and they had such meager, flimsy reasons for not uh, finding constitutional uh, uh, a constitutional basis for marriage equality that they really invalidated each other. So, you know, the 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 the, the mere fact that marriage equality now materially affects so many people in the United States is amazing. Uh, I think you're going to see repercussions in other countries as well. A lot of other legislative bodies and judicial bodies around the world uh, who are thinking about this now are are going to be spurred into action by by the United States action as well. Yeah, and those case decisions and those opinions really are so important. Um, they provide such perspective. I go back to reading Judge Walker's original decision about Prop 8 when he had the trial, and, and he really laid out, he allowed to be laid out in court all of the foundational arguments for marriage. Um, and you can see those themes running through the Supreme Court's uh, individual opinions. You do. You see those. You see those themes carrying through. Um, equal dignity being a, a major one in Kennedy's written uh, majority decision. But you also see that the objections to, to marriage equality just sort of crumbling at every level. Um, and every level, of course, had the opportunity uh, for opponents to give their reasons, uh, and they just they, they fell apart in in, in testimony and in, in you know examination of the evidence. Yeah, it, it was just it was really fascinating to watch um, the opposition crumble. Um, and there's no there's no credible argument left for denying marriage equality. So so here we are. It's a yeah, good thing. Yeah, no doubt. And you mentioned Justice Scalia. It almost seems like, well, it makes me wonder if that's really the way that he feels because it's so outlandish. And <laughs> and in you know in prior it was the uh, Lawrence case. He even made a nod towards suggesting that marriage equality should be a reality in sort of a bizarre and hidden way. So your, your theory is that he's just trolling all of us? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, so you talked about other countries and, and our movement here being uh, you know, a suggestion or a tip or an encouragement for other countries. Let's talk about Ireland because they beat us to the punch with a vote uh, back in May. They did, you know, and they beat everyone to the punch because it was a vote by the entire population of, of the Republic of Ireland. So this is the first and only country in the world where marriage equality was put to a broad referendum, and uh, it was a tough campaign. And in May, the entire, you know, the nation decided with a with a pretty significant margin that marriage equality was the way to go. Um, so it's it's unique um, and impressive, um, yeah, partly because. You know, divorce was only legal legalized in Ireland in the late '90s, and of course, because it's such a you know Catholic country as well. Well, right. I mean, that's one of the things that really stood out to me was there's such a strong influence uh, from the Catholic Church in Ireland, and you know, the people stood out against that in real opposition to that. Yeah, there was a real. Um, there's been a real sort of shift in the way people think about the Catholic Church as moral 
moral arbiters in Ireland with the priest abuse scandals and the cover-ups that went along with that. Um, you know, my sense is that the Irish people said, um, we're not really going to turn to you on this question. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're going to think about what's best for the nation. Um, you know, and, and, and they did, they had a really interesting, um, campaign strategy in that the yes vote, the yes campaign encouraged people from around the world who are, um, citizens of Ireland and voting citizens to come back home because a lot of people live outside the country to come back home to vote. So a lot of Irish living in the U S and Australia and, um, you know, in other parts, uh, journeyed a long way to come home and vote. Yes. And that was, uh, a lot of young people, especially, I think that was really decisive as well. Um, I was there in Ireland when marriage equality was uh, enacted in November. Oh, wow. There was a delay between the vote and the, the time that you can actually, you know, get married. Um, and I was kind of hoping for some big fuss, but there wasn't. And partly, I think, because you have to declare your intent to be married three months in advance. So it takes some planning. It is not something to be entered into lightly in Ireland. But also the attitude was people were still talking about uh, the vote and they my sense was that they were saying, yes, uh, we made a decision about what's best for the country and, you know, we're, we're better for it. And, you know, let's just move on. Wow. I mean, it must have been really, really, really cool to be there to witness all of that going down. Well, religion did play a big part here and continues to play a big part here. Uh, the Pope visited this year and there's been a lot of pushback, uh, in different States, presumably toward the marriage decision, and this effort to now take away or strip away other kinds of, of LGBT rights, starting in Indiana. Give us your perspective on the pushback. You know, Indiana was a really interesting case because initially looking at it, I thought, well, this was just sort of, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of business interests getting together and saying, you know, we are, as soon as the, the, uh, the um, new law allowing for discrimination in public accommodations and business and all sorts of things, if you, if, you know, against LGBT um, uh, customers and et cetera. You know, I thought it was just the business community coming together and saying this is just really not good for, for business. But really there had been a um, – uh, Carrie Elveld writes about this a couple of issues ago – um, about a real on-the-ground um, campaign for several years prior – regarding marriage equality and getting conservatives interested in marriage equality in Indiana that really laid the groundwork for this. So that was really, you know, a unique uh, scenario for Indiana as well. But I think broadly you're going to see more of these, uh, more of these religious freedom restoration acts, so-called in other parts of the country. Um, There's this notion, I think it was kind of a, um, a pie in the sky notion that once marriage equality was enacted, um, the right wing, um, Republican, uh, presidential candidates and other candidates for office, we're just going to sort of let, um, let us, you know, let us be. <laughs> and the GOP establishment, I think really wanted to stay away from, so- from social issues as, as campaign issues in the future. But the Republican base is still, you know, having a hard time with this. Um, and so we're going to see a lot of, really uh, cynical, craven, uh, right-wing attempts to uh, needle those people in their homophobia, in their transphobia. Uh, we saw in Houston as well, the hero, the hero legislation, the hero law transphobia uh, exhibited there. Um, and so you're going to see RIFRAs and you're going to see um, really right-wing laws aimed at LGBTs 
I think for for quite some time. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. No, I don't either. But it's interesting. There was a story earlier this month in Alaska where a, a proposal to strip away LGBT rights at a local level was cast aside by, I think it was a city council. And so there's that tension pushing back and forth. I Alaska is a pretty conservative state. I would have thought that that would have fallen along the wayside with some of these other local ordinances that have been stripped away. But but there's that pushback that, no, that, that goes too far, at least it, is what it looked like to me. The Alaska the case was really interesting because I sort of had the same you know um, initial uh, reaction that this, it was surprising that this would come out of, of Alaska. But I think that there are some right of center communities that just think we don't we don't we don't have the time to waste on on you know on bullying lgbt people in the law uh and so their you know their concerns are elsewhere um so it's you know you, uh, it is interesting to see where this tension is coming out of and and houston it was interesting to see as well because houston's a pretty progressive place um and you know elected anise parker who's an out lesbian three times to right. office so uh, the tension is is real and it's ongoing and it's it's really surprising to see where it's uh, how it's manifesting itself. Well, and you bring up a really good point about the fact this isn't going to go away. Marco Rubio has been uh, pretty vocal about his ideas if he gets elected about how he is going to lead the overturn of the Supreme Court decision. He was talking with Rachel Maddow earlier this month about. How he, if he was president, will have this opportunity to appoint up to four Supreme Court justices. And then he would orchestrate a law to make uh, marriage equality illegal or same-sex marriage illegal in the United States and let that go all the way up to a Supreme Court challenge now with these four new justices as a way to orchestrate overturning that decision. Pretty scary stuff. It is scary. It's one of the major consequences of not having, um, uh, uh, I should say, of having a uh, right-wing nut job in the Oval Office is the, the Supreme Court appointments. Uh, I might be a little um, naive in this, but I just I kind of can't imagine something that happened to California during Prop 8 on a national scale having a, a, such a fundamental right as marriage equality um, revoked. I would think that any, I would hope, that any justices that that uh, that the Senate you know saw fit to uh, um, to confirm wouldn't go down that path, but but you, you can see how that sort of fear mongering is really on Rubio's part is really well. It's his grasp for support. We'll see if it works. Um, it, it hasn't been working in in huge numbers yet, uh, but it is it is a really scary thought for sure. Yeah. No, I, I think he's. I think he and his colleagues in the Republican Party are pretty out of touch with what the majority of Americans think about marriage. I think folks are getting tired of talking about it. Uh, I just think it's one of those things where, you know, in a couple of years, people are going to wonder what all the fuss was about um, because, you know, the sky doesn't fall. Um, you know, Massachusetts has had it for what, a decade, 11 years now. The sky hasn't fallen there. Straight people's rights uh, in their marriages have not been impacted. Hopefully the right-wing Christian victimization sort of uh, attitude will be seen for what it is, which is just sort of, uh, you know, craven and cynical as well. Yep. So let's talk about Kim Davis. She's certainly in the news a lot. Uh, I don't know that she has a tremendous amount of credibility except with her conservative followers. But, you know, some have suggested that she's become a martyr. What do you think? Well, she she was a great Halloween costume. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I think she is kind of a martyr to a to a small subset. 
to the sort of Mike Huckabee uh, and Matt Staver um, ilk. Um, so they'll trot her out, and she'll probably have you know speaking engagements and a book tour, and she'll probably make quite a bit of money, and maybe she can buy a new T-shirt. Um, but uh, you know, I think her impact will be limited. I hope that the next person who strives for Kim Davis um, martyrdom status um, won't receive quite the same level of um, public interest. Um, you know, she's been there and done that, and I, I hope that there aren't too many others who who can, you know, make a living out of out of that uh, victimization. My, you know, uh, idea. Right. Well, somebody had to take Fred Phelps's place, so it might have been her, right? <laughs> <laughs> See if she starts her own religion this time. Exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned Houston and and the trans community, and and uh, there's been a lot of visibility finally, and a lot of discussion about the trans community. Talk about Caitlyn Jenner's story and the impact that you think that has had. Caitlyn Jenner is really fascinating. Um, there has never been a person so famous who's transitioned so much in the public eye. Um, so, you know, we've had a few, uh, major trans celebrities in the past. I think, um, you know, Chaz Bono, Chaz Bono's transition was really important. And at the time when I, my, my first issue of the advocate as editor in chief, uh, Chaz was on the cover. And at the time, Chaz was the most famous trans person in the world, but I don't, but I don't think had anywhere near the, um, intergenerational reach and the maybe international reach that Caitlyn Jenner does by association with the Olympics and the Kardashians and, um, and all of that. So, you know, whether Caitlin is an ideal spokesperson is kind of secondary because a lot of people think that she's not. A lot of people think that she's great, but uh, she's learning and, and doing this in the public eye. And because of that, so many people around the world are just seeing what, you know, what transition looks like. They, they, they all theoretically know a trans person now. Um, and so that's a really important thing in terms of equal rights and in terms of, um, and in terms of the public discourse, because, you know, if, if trans is an abstract concept that a lot of people can't picture in their minds, it's really, you know, it's, it's much easier to hate and to demonize. But to have a picture in your head of what a, who a trans person might be, what, what that's like, I think that that's really impactful in much the same way that coming out if you're, if you're gay or lesbian or bi is really impactful. Um, people understand a human story much more than they understand an sure, abstract sure. story. You know, we have wonderful uh, trans activists like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock, but, um, you know, the world didn't see them in transition. So I think that that's, uh, it's just an order of magnitude different with with Jenner. Yeah, and I think it's prompted some conversation or at least some question about the difference between maybe what people thought transgender was a drag queen versus someone who's really grappling with gender identity and trying to make that, that correction. Uh, for themselves so that they can live their lives in a way that's consistent mentally and physically. I'm not sure that there's a wide understanding of, of gender identity and gender dysphoria as it is. And and maybe Caitlin's story and her sharing of that coming out has helped people learn. Yeah. I mean, it's not so surprising uh, in some ways that people don't know more about this it, just because the, the trans population is such a small subset of the LGBT population, which is a small subset of the, of the population at large. So, you know the likelihood that you know someone who's trans is 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 quite a bit less than you would know someone who is um, L G or B. So Caitlin's story is really important in in, in 
in transmitting the, the, the education, but, um, you know, we, we're seeing popular entertainment like Transparent, which is, you know, really popular and getting lots of great awards. And then, you know, movies like The Danish Girl, which is coming out now. Um, and Aiden Dowling, who was a finalist for the Men's Health cover. You're seeing all, all right. kinds of popular culture uh, um, iterations of the trans story and their, uh, the variety of those stories. Um, and then, of course, Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black. Um, that's helping as well. I think that that's, uh, it certainly goes a long way to getting people, um, giving, giving them a hook into what it means to be trans. It's yeah. um, to the variety of experiences that there are there. But the stories haven't all been positive, though. I mean, we've had an extraordinary number of trans people murdered this year. Is, this, is there more awareness around that issue or ha- are indeed trans people being more widely victimized? It's really hard to say. You see trans women of color in particular being um, you know, killed in great numbers in this country and in even greater numbers in places like Brazil and, and you know, other nations where they actually track and report this information. So the increased, uh, the increased visibility to trans issues can show an, uh, an increase then in victimization rates because people understand what it is a little bit better. Is it happening more and more often? It's, it's really hard to say. We may not know for a long time whether, whether people are being harmed or killed at a greater rate than they were in the past. Um, but at least we know much more about who they, who they are and who they were. And that goes a long way into helping us uh, attempt to protect people while they are with us, uh, to educate populations and to, um, uh, to help undercut the demonization of, of trans people. Um, you know, you see it also in, in, in suicide rates. It's hard to know whether um, suicide rates of trans, but also um, lesbian, gay, and bi um, teenagers especially. You know, we're seeing big numbers in suicide rates. Um, so it's hard to know whether we are seeing those rates increase because parents sort of understand a bit more about who their, you know, kids are than they used to. Um, you know, we still face the, the problem of parents wanting to cover up something that they think is shameful when, when, uh, when their child um, commits suicide. And, and the shame is not, unfortunately, the, the suicide in all cases, but the fact that they were LGBT. Well, if nothing else, people are becoming made aware uh, that this has been going on, and the media has been doing, I think, a better job of covering that, and, and that's good. That awareness will, will help at least get people thinking about the problem. Let's shift yep. gears to the Boy Scouts and the military, okay. uh, because they've had some pretty big changes, too. And I don't think I would have predicted that the military this year would have opened the door for trans folks. That happened pretty quick. Yeah, it's not in all branches, but um, it is happening. Uh, this year, the um, Air Force allowed trans service members. Um, you know, they're, they're looking at broad military um, lifting of bans on people serving openly as trans. Uh, that's remarkable to me in the, the, the speed at which this is happening. And it's uh, great. So I'm super excited about that. The Boy Scout lifting the, the ban on gay and bisexual adults serving as volunteers and employees is great, but there's a caveat there because local troops can decide uh, whether to follow that, you know, broad guideline or not. So I think you're going to still see people being disallowed in the Boy Scouts um, because there's no there's no sort of non-discrimination um, provision nationally in all cases. Right. The Boy Scouts finally came around. I mean, it, it 
and it's interesting to me that they were much slower and much more resistant than the military in some respects. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm really, I'm really pleased to see the strides that the military has made. We've done a couple stories talking with actual line level service members who were way ahead of this, as might be predicted, than the generals and the commanders that were making these decisions. But the Boy Scouts really seemed to crumble under the public pressure. And they didn't, I don't think they got the support they were thinking they were going to get, maybe except from some of their religious organization sponsors. Yeah, I think the last numbers that we looked at show that about 70% of troops are are faith-based, are sponsored by faith-based groups. So they meet in churches and, and that sort of thing. But the Boy Scouts receive so much support from national uh, businesses uh, and and global businesses, really, um, like Home Depot and other places, that when those companies saw discrimination within the Boy Scouts, they started to pull their money out. So I think you saw a lot of the financial support crumble. You've seen declining, you know, membership rates over the past, I think since the, since the early 90s, I think you've seen declines in, in rates. You know, I th- think too many Americans are just, are just not interested in participating in, in an organization that, uh, that is slow, so slow to, to change their discriminatory policies. Yeah. So, you know, the business community followed and yeah, we'll have to see what happens to the Boy Scouts. I, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think it, I, I think it's going to be an ever shrinking organization. Money talks. Money talks, absolutely. Yeah. So there were some pretty big international stories. We, we already mentioned the good news in Ireland, but there's been some real tragic uh, news, uh, particularly around ISIS on a variety of levels. But LGBT folks are being targeted pretty specifically, and there have been some really graphic stories about men being thrown from buildings. I don't know that I've seen a huge reaction from governments around the world to that people speaking out about that or naming that specifically as a as a real tragedy it is it's um you know these you saw some of the videos or pictures i'm sure they, they these are really horrifying murders part of the problem for us as journalists in in talking about this is that some of these things are sort of unconfirmed in terms of whether you know, and ISIS uses these sorts of uh, videos and images as propaganda. Whether these people were actually gay, or whether the people who were watching knew that, um, uh, and I think in some cases it's it's fairly evident. But we don't know in a lot of cases whether this was. It's it's hard for us to report about it, um, the, the the facts uh, about it. Which isn't to say that our governments shouldn't be responding to the idea gay men would be would be um, you know. Set us uh, isolated and attacked in, in this in these really horrible, really bloodthirsty ways. I think you're going to be seeing some American LGBT rights organizations sort of turning their um, gaze both toward the United States, but also outward. And I think uh, HRC has made some um, announcements about about this in, in the past year or two. You know, with the with the seeming inevitability of marriage equality on the horizon. Um, I really hope that that happens. I really hope that there's money to be found for supporting LGBT people in Jamaica and Uganda and, and uh, in the Middle East and support for you know refugees uh, out of um, uh, Lebanon and Syria and other places where LGBT people are, are, are hounded. Yeah, I, I really hope that we uh, put our, our money and our support where our, where our mouth is. 
We covered a story this last month about an effort to increase or name a number of Syrian refugees who happen to be LGBT because they're, they're persecuted at such a high le- amount there, high level there. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, if that is a group that's specifically identified and, and supported or not. So aside from the marriage story, in your mind, uh, what are some of the other big ones that stood out most for you this last year? You know, it was really great to see um, our first out governor, Kate Brown of Oregon, um, was sworn into office in February, earlier this year. Uh, she's bisexual, so that was really that was really kind of cool to see. There was a really interesting court case out of New Jersey where a court ruled that a Jewish group had violated the state's consumer fraud protection laws by claiming it could cure gays of being gay, essentially. So I think you might see um, that sort of court case um, ignite other similar cases. It was, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how um, the Cure the Gays organizations fare in, in the coming years. And then there was this, you know, the whole fuss around the Stonewall film, which was, which was interesting and fun to watch. <laughs> I don't know if that I have a lot to say about that, but it was, but the, but the, uh, the conversation was really sort of interesting and exciting and I think will inform a lot of filmmaking in the future. It definitely, it definitely will do that. And it's almost too bad because that was a history piece that's important. We're, we're trying really hard to document and pass on our history. And I think that was a really good attempt to educate America about what happened that night. But the criticisms were pretty strong. And, uh, and accuracy is important. And I think there was a pretty strong message that filmmakers are going to have to pay attention to. Yeah, my, my hope is that it doesn't stifle filmmakers from really uh, from telling stories, but encourages them to do it responsibly instead. Right, right. So as you look out to 2016, what are we going to be reading about? Oh, gosh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of those Rifra stories. Um, hopefully not too many more Kim Davises. I, I'd be really looking forward to seeing um, some sort of the advances that we talked about in, um, in foreign nations um, and how we export the notion of LGBT equality. And of course, I think you're going to be seeing ever more LGBT people in, in politics and media um, and excited to see what kind of stories we, we, we tell each other as a, as a culture. Um, that, in, that that will be inclusive and and um, made by LGBT people as well. What's up coming up next for the Advocate and Out Magazine? Um, this next issue of Out Magazine is the Love issue, so I encourage everybody to pick that up. Some great um, stories of um, queer romances, uh, and I can't tell you who's on the cover of the Ad next Advocate just yet. But I will tell you that uh, our politics story inside is um, by uh, Mark Joseph Stern, who is um, one of the uh, editors at Slate's Outward blog. And um, he writes really interestingly about hero, uh, the hero law in Houston and the defeat of, of that law um, and how the transphobia that was exhibited there relates to sort of old school homophobia, but even older school misogyny and how they're all connected and you know it draws an interesting line back to phyllis schlafly and other people uh, you see this sort of same undercurrents in fear-mongering and tactics in anti uh, anti-trans anti-gay and anti-women campaigns um in the, this century in the past century's politics it's a good piece can't wait to see it where can people go to learn more about the advocate including your website uh yeah go to advocate.com 
Uh, and also uh, look for the year-end Al 100 issue and Advocate issue, um, which are bundled together on newsstands. The uh, Al 100 issue features Barack Obama on the cover, first sitting president ever to be photographed for an LGBT publication. So uh, a great pair of issues. So those are available right now. And they really are. The Advocate uh, is a year in a review, the extraordinary events of 2015. And if nothing else, it's a nice historical piece to keep on your coffee table. Um, it's got a great layout of some of the top stories we've talked about tonight and even more. So I encourage you to go pick that up. And The Advocate's just a great source for staying in contact with what's going on in, in daily LGBT news. We have a feed from The Advocate right on our own website at outbeatnews.com. So it's very easy to go to. You can click and drill down to some of those stories. We've been talking with Matthew Breen, the editor-in-chief of The Advocate magazine. Matt, thanks so much for spending tonight with us, and Happy New Year to you. Likewise, thank you very much, and happy holidays. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, one of the major political issues in 2015 that's sure to be a hot potato in 2016 is immigration. And sometimes the stories of the real people behind this issue get overshadowed by the political grandstanding. Now, as many of you know, in my life off the air, I'm a teacher at Napa Valley College. Eduardo Vasquez is a young Latino gay man and was one of my students in this year's LGBT studies program. He's an immigrant and traveled to Napa from Mexico on his own, leaving his family behind in hopes of earning an education and building a life as an out gay man. Eddie, welcome to the show. Hi. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and about your family. Um, so I grew up in Mexico in a city called Culiacán, Sinaloa. It's actually one of the most violent places in Mexico, one of the most violent cities. Um, but I grew up there, so I knew my way around there. Um, I've always experienced um, domestic violence. Like I saw my how my dad would treat my mom, and since like a very very early age, I wanted to leave home because of that reason. My my dad passed away a few years ago. After that, I moved to another city in Mexico, which was like a bigger city where uh, people were more accepting. And which city was it that you moved to? Um, I moved to Guadalajara, Jalisco. Uh, they have a big, like a bigger LGBT community over there. Um, my mom wanted to go back to the same city, so, but I told her, I told her after experiencing accept, uh, like acceptance, I didn't want to go back to that. So I asked her if I could move somewhere else where I knew I could, I could grow. And since um, I was born in the U.S., she told me that it would be a good idea to come over here and and just um, take all the opportunities that I that I have, uh, school, um, any like help for, from the gov- like the government and stuff like that. Wow. So how old were you when you came back to the U.S.? I was 16 years old. And it was my, my junior year. Um, so when I came to the U.S., I didn't really tell anyone that I was gay until my senior year when I actually joined choir and drama and I saw like people were being so like like uh, acceptive of like everyone and it doesn't matter like what race what sexual orientation uh, we had like everyone like everyone embraced everyone else Uh, so I started telling a little by little like first to my closest friends uh, about like me being gay and I don't know like (laughs) so when I was in high school 
my accent was a little bit more like prominent, and I used to stay after class to practice on that. And because like when I would talk to boys, I would get so embarrassed because I would hear their American accent, and I would just be like, you know, I'm like this Mexican guy, like I'm like nothing compared to them. That was like what I was thinking. Like they must make fun of me. And I was like, if I want to fit in, I need to talk like them, be like them, and dress like them. Um, but then, like as time went on, I got like my own style and all that, and I started to be more comfortable around people and telling them about um, who I was, um, what I liked. Uh, I started to like express myself a little bit better. Um, so I started telling, uh, started coming out to my closest friends, uh, then to teachers. So let's go back just a little bit before we get too far ahead in your story. Tell us about how you physically got to Napa. I mean, it's a long way from Guadalajara. I actually moved first to uh, I moved to LA, uh, and then for uh, because of family matters, I had to move to um, American Canyon. Um, my aunt and my uncle live here, so they told me about Napa College, and I I was like, it sounds like a really good college. I um, I want to go there. And when I saw that we had you know the LGBT class, I was like, the first thing that clicked into my 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 mind was like, I need to take that class. When I had my first boyfriend, he showed me, you know, the the gay world. You could say that we used to go to um, to go to uh, West Hollywood all the time, and I would see so many people, and and I would see so many, you know, uh, LGBT folks so, like just walking around, and it would be so weird for me. Um, as we got like deeper into the relationship, I started noticing a little like that he was a little bit more like on the parting side that he liked to go out so, like so much and drink and just do all these things that I wasn't really comfortable doing. Yeah, that life it was just too wild for me. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that, especially coming from Mexico and a culture that at least stereotypically isn't very accepting of LGBT people. So what was it like for you as a young child when you first discovered your attraction for men and, and then identified yourself as being gay? Were you afraid? So, actually, when I was when I was um, around seven years, eight years old, um, I could act um, however I felt like. People wouldn't judge me for that, and and because of my mannerism, I, man, mannerisms, I would hang out more with girls, um, and they would accept me, uh, like accept me and embrace me. You know, like I wouldn't have any troubles with them or their their parents because they knew like maybe that I was like a little bit more feminine than the other than the other guys. I was a little bit different. Um, I don't know. They didn't just they just didn't feel like threatened by me. You know, being like hanging out with the with them. So um, it was actually not until middle school when I started realizing that if I did something a little bit girly, that I would get teased by it. You know, I would get um, I I got called so many names when I was in in in, in middle school. Middle school. You know, I think that's unfortunately a pretty common experience of a lot of young gay kids here in the U.S. as well. So what role did religion play in your upbringing? When I was little, my mom was, uh, she considered herself Catholic, but we didn't really exercise uh, the religion. Um, um, but lately, she's been more into um, more spiritual religion, more, um, it's called science of mind and stuff like that, which is a little bit more like metaphys- uh, metaphysics and stuff like that. You know, think positive, positive things would, will happen to you. So that kind of really helped me. You know, she, she always told me that I could be whoever I wanted to be and that the, that the only person had to, had to accept my, like me 
it was myself. Like, as, like as long as I loved myself, uh, I wouldn't need the love of anyone else, like from anyone else. And I couldn't agree more. That's great. So tell us, how did you come out to your mom? How did she find out you were gay? So when I was 17, I went, uh, I went to visit my mom in Mexico. And one night, she just, uh, we went to get dinner. It was just the two of us. And she asks me that famous question, do you have a girlfriend? And I was just like, no, you know, I'm too busy. I have school, I have a choir, I have drama. If, I mean, if she, like, she, if she didn't get the hint from that, like, I don't know. And so then she asked me, you know, well, do you have a boyfriend? And as soon as she asked me that, I just... I cried. Uh, I felt so like vulnerable. I like I knew I was like, oh no, she knows. So I just started crying, and she just held me, and she brought me close to her chest, and she was just telling me that everything was fine, that that she was my mom, and she's always gonna love me for who I was. It, like it didn't matter if I liked a girl or a boy. That um, as long as I was being myself, she wouldn't love me for who I was. What a great story! I love that. So we have just a couple minutes left. You have a YouTube channel, brand new. Where can people go to see it? Uh, you can go to um, Eddie Vasquez. That's E-D-D-Y-V-A-S-Q-U-E-C. Uh, what else? Uh, my first video, it's called Coming Out, and there's going to be a picture of me uh, with a hat and lights of the back. <laughs> Terrific. And if you missed that website, we'll have a link on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on Show Notes at the top of the page. Look for tonight's show, and you'll find a link to Eddie's YouTube channel. Eddie, thanks so much for spending tonight with us, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you for having me, and Happy New Year. Well, you know, over the last five years, there's hardly been a day gone by when LGBT people haven't been in the news. And the tone of these stories has changed dramatically over the last five decades. Here's a look back at some of the most important ones. The homosexuals, most Americans are repelled by the mere notion of homosexuality, is in fact a mental illness. Two out of three Americans look upon homosexuals with disgust, discomfort, or fear. One out of ten says hatred. One never knows when the homosexual is about. This involves showing the gay man pictures of nude males and shocking him with a, a strong electric current. He will be unable to get sexually aroused. They are taught that no man is born homosexual, that it is not genetic in origin, not the result of a hormone imbalance. Rather, they are told that sexual behavior is learned behavior. The average homosexual, if there be such, is promiscuous. He is not interested in nor capable of a lasting relationship like that of a heterosexual marriage. And if we catch you with a homosexual, your parents are going to know about it first. And you will be caught, because this is one thing you cannot get away with. This is one thing that if you don't get caught by us, you'll be caught by yourself. And the rest of your life will be a living hell. Matt Shepard, the gay college student savagely beaten last week in Wyoming, died this morning. Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. How many more gay people does God have to create before we ask ourselves whether or not God actually wants them around? I'm gay. Yeah, I'm gay. 
Will Phillips is refusing to pledge allegiance to the flag in his fifth grade classroom until there really is liberty and justice for all. There is a push underway to lift the ban that prohibits gay men from donating blood. Gay men have not been allowed to donate blood since 1985 because of a fear of HIV. It's a policy that some say is way outdated and unnecessary. Homosexual behavior is harmful not only to society but more importantly to the individuals who engage in that behavior. Homosexuals and atheists are not to be allowed to be registered as, as leaders and, or members of the Boy Scouts of America. How can we, as people who make the laws, say to one small group of our fellow citizens, you know, there's something about you that some people don't like, so you are not eligible for work. You can be fired. You can't get a promotion. I hardly think that bullying is a real issue in schools. Once you meet a little boy named Asher Brown, he lived in Texas, he was 13 years old, and I say was in the past because he shot himself in the head last Thursday. Billy Lucas of Greensburg, Indiana, was just 15 years old when bullying pushed him over the edge. Hi, this is Jamie from Buffalo, New York. I just want to tell you that it does get better. 14-year-old Jamie Rodemeyer took his life Sunday. Let's do this one for Jamie. When government starts to tell us who can love and what is good love. I do have a problem with that. I do. Today I'm announcing my support for a law that gives our same-sex couples in our state the right to receive a marriage license in Washington, the same right given to our heterosexual couples. I believe that a marriage should be between a man and a woman. No offense to anybody out there, but that's how I was raised and that's how I think that it should be between a man and a woman. It was the most controversial state issue on the ballot. You know I'm talking about proposition number eight. There are still a few votes to be counted, but it looks like the measure has passed. If you're for equal rights, why would you get married right now? It's like joining a country club that doesn't allow blacks or Jews. There's no difference. An open statement by a service member that he or she is a homosexual will create a rebuttable presumption that he or she intends to engage in prohibited conduct. I am an infantry platoon leader in the New York Army National Guard, and by saying three words to you today, I am gay, those three words are a violation of Title 10 of the U.S. Code. Lieutenant Dan Choi has been fired from the U.S. military. Should gay couples have the right to adopt in Virginia? Florida Governor Charlie Chris has ordered the state to stop enforcing a ban on adoption by gay and lesbian parents. California's ban on same-sex marriage was overturned by a federal judge in San Francisco. On February 12th, an openly gay 15-year-old boy named Larry, who is an 8th grader in Oxnard, California, was murdered by a fellow 8th grader named Brandon. Larry was killed because he was gay. One of the most obnoxious and offensive vestiges of our criminal justice system from another era is the gay panic defense. The idea that if a gay person makes a pass at you and you don't like it, you can fly into a rage, shoot and kill that person, and that's some kind of a defense. We are not a nation that says, don't ask, don't tell. We are a nation that says, out of many, we are one. with something brand new in America today. It is day one. The long controversial don't ask, don't tell policy expired at midnight. Some say domestic partnerships are the same as marriage. That's a version of the discriminatory, separate but equal argument of the past. You are telling Iowans that some among you are second-class citizens who do not have the right to marry the person you love. You can love that person but you can't marry them. That's wrong. It's separate but equal. I can be a second-class citizen. I cannot legally come up with an argument against same-sex marriage. To all of the gay and lesbian kids out there tonight who have been told that they are less than by their churches, by the government, 
or by their families. You are beautiful, wonderful creatures of value. Our mission is to reach out and teach people to love and not to hate. When the message out there is so horrible that to be gay, you can get killed for it, we need to change the message. Things will get easier. It gets better. The sexual orientation of my parents citizen. I am not a second-class citizen. It is okay it's if you're gay. Ten percent of the total population are homosexual. It's not contagious. Okay. Or, or not a homosexual. We do not employ homosexuals. If we discover homosexuals, we discharge it. It is a tragic illness. It's right to be gay. People already employ. Prevents them from being fine. An equal alternative lifestyle. Male homosexuals has triggered an epidemic. A rare form of cancer. Federal guidelines ask homosexual men not to give blood. Condolences, family of Matthew Shepard. I am so pissed off. Major victory for homosexuals in America. The march toward equality and justice has continued. How we are born and who we choose to love should not be a basis for discrimination, discrimination in the Boy Scout. A Missouri Boy Scout. Kicked out of camp for being gay. I was told to leave. Pack your things and go. Hired gay teacher. teacher. Wouldn't hire him because he's Another gay. Another attack on the gay community. A nationwide ban on gay men being able to donate blood will likely be upheld. To keep the blood supplies safe, I think we should keep the ban on it. Leaving many in the gay community feeling discriminated against. It sort of digs up that whole gay equals HIV. The nation's blood supply is in its worst shortest. There isn't enough blood to go around. The battle for same-sex marriage continues. Is this an equal rights issue? I've lived with and loved the Aspire for more than four decades. We're support biblical families. Marriage is a union of man and woman. We're spending time, energy, and money trying to ban love. As husband and wife. The only way to truly expunge darkness is by exposing it to light. We should be free in America to discriminate against homosexual behavior. It's unnatural. And it's wrong. I don't want homosexuals in my truth. Build a big, large fence. Put all the lesbians in there. Do the same thing with a homosexual. And have that fence electrified. In a few years, they'll die. Out. The second you see your son dropping the limp wrist, you rock over there and crack that wrist. Same sex marriage will be the ultimate destruction of our country. If we don't vote against it, then we are approved these things Free. that are worthy of the. 40 years ago, it hung them from a white oak tree. The Bible's against it, God's against it, I'm against it, and if you've got any sense, you're against it. The thing about rights is that you are not supposed to vote on them. That's why they're called rights. Tell gay Americans that they can marry the person that they love. You're telling that to kids, too. Every pint of blood in America is tested. Every pint. We can't get married. We don't have the same adoption rights. We get beat up and harassed. When you put minority rights up for a vote, the majority tends to vote against them. This country has a long history of discrimination against certain groups. And eventually, we wind up getting it right. Boy Scouts of America approved a resolution. Their ban on gay scouts Exodus is closing its doors. This ban is not scientifically based any longer. Do not let yourself work. Be defined by both. Where's the court that's supposed to stand up for the disenfranchised? What country is this? I am not broken. Same-sex couples should be able to get married. I am not confused. All my And I do not need to be fixed. Do you want my blood or don't? Voters of a same-sex civil rights struggle. Treating people the way you want to be treated. Not treated. having to be second class citizens. Use your voice. I want to know what it's like. Not long. 
This is a question of equality. Oh, yes, it is. About equality. We are going to prevail. Eventually, we will win. I hope you will stand on the right side of history. The sense of family comes from the commitment we make to each other to work through the hard times so we can enjoy the good ones. It comes from the love that binds us. That's what makes a family. I want to thank all of you who have been brave enough to walk point and force change. We will be more American when we eliminate discrimination based upon sexual orientation. Today, we are more American. The cruel words of one are nothing compared to the shouts of many. The Supreme Court's ruling is the biggest victory for gay rights. Celebrations erupted on the steps of the Supreme Court. Right after the decision was handed down. A men's choir led the massive crowd singing the national anthem. The Supreme Court was divided on the issue in a 5-4 split decision. Right-leaning Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote the majority opinion, saying, quote, No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. Saying gay couples ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. Jim Obergefell, the lead plaintiff and face of this historic case, fought on behalf of his marriage to his now-deceased husband, John. It's my hope that the term gay marriage will soon be a thing of the past. That from this day forward, it will simply be marriage. I love you. This is for you, John. And in an incredible moment, Obergefell received a phone call from the president while live on CNN. And I just want to say congratulations. Thank you so much, sir. I think with your wishes. <laughs> your leadership on this, you know, has uh, changed, changed the country. I... I really appreciate that, Mr. President. I look into the window of my mind. Reflections of the fears I know I've left behind. I'm out of the ordinary. I can feel my soul ascending. I'm on my way. Can't stop me now. Think you can do the And that brings us to the end of our hour and our last show for 2015. My thanks to Matthew Breen from The Advocate Magazine and to my great student, Eddie Vasquez. I'd also like to thank our amazing news partners, The Advocate, The Huffington Post, Gay Voices, The LGBTQ Nation, New Now Next, and The Bay Area Reporter. Thank you for keeping our community informed and for helping us share our stories with the world. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. On behalf of all of us on the Outbeat Radio team, I wish you and yours a happy new year. Have a great holiday week and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us.
You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa, Radio 91. Online all the time at krcb.org. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Open Space District is next.